0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of Insurance Uncovered, your source for insurance news and perspective from thought leaders in the property casualty insurance industry. This podcast is produced by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies. Hi, I'm your host, Kathy Imus, and today we're uncovering the 2022 midterm elections. Senior political analyst Jim Ellis breaks down what to watch for as candidates make their final push for votes. Plus, the U.S. cyber insurance market is growing. How insurers are weighing in on a potential federal insurance response to catastrophic cyber incidents. But first, a new report from the National Association of Insurance Commissioners has found that the U.S. cyber insurance market grew to $6.5 billion last year. That's an increase of 61 percent from the prior year, as cyber data breaches in 2021 shot up by 68 percent. This comes as the U.S. Treasury Department is seeking public comment on the need for and scope of a potential federal insurance response to catastrophic cyber incidents. NAMIC and other trade associations have asked the FIO to extend its request for comment period, noting that the evolving cyber insurance marketplace adds complexity to any analysis. FIO published its request for comment in September, asking for information on the risks of catastrophic cyber incidents from several perspectives. Officials want input on cyber risks to critical infrastructure, the potential quantification of such risks, the extent of existing private market insurance protection for such risks, whether a federal insurance response is warranted, and how such a federal insurance response should be structured. Meanwhile, as conversations and questions continue to grow around the need for and scope of cyber insurance, NAMIC is working to start up a task force on the topic. The association is seeking much-needed thoughts and feedback from member companies on this subject to begin shaping the association's responses to regulatory proposals and other requests for comment. NAMIC also will be asking this task force for feedback on the growing marketplace and what, if any, vulnerabilities exist. Tropical storms Martin and Lisa are taking shape in the Atlantic Basin as the 2022 hurricane season enters its final month. Both are forecast to become short-lived hurricanes, with Lisa expected to make landfall in Belize, while Martin will hit land in Bermuda. So far this season, there have been four hurricanes with two considered major hurricanes, meaning Category 3 or above. And the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration has predicted between two and six more hurricanes may form before hurricane season officially ends on November 30th. Well, with just six days until the midterm elections, Candidates are looking to make their closing arguments and get supporters out to the polls. On today's Unscripted, NAMIC SVP of Federal and Political Affairs Jimmy Grandy talks with Jim Ellis, Senior Political Analyst for BiPAC, the Business Industry Political Action Committee, about what to watch for as candidates make their final push. We're
1: joined today by Senior Political Analyst Jim Ellis, and that means he's not just someone who goes on TV to discuss elections. He's an actual political scientist who has worked on and studied elections. He's a 35-year veteran of uh, politics at both the state and national levels, and there's a lot to unpack as we approach the midterms next week. So we're grateful to have you on the podcast today, Jim. Thank you for joining us. And... For our listeners, Jim recently joined us for NAMIC's annual meeting in Dallas last month and spoke to NAMIC PAC's top supporters about some of the current political dynamics, and he offered some really fun and keen insights into the upcoming elections. And we found his insights so interesting that we invited him to come back and join us for today's podcast. So thanks for being with us today, Jim. We appreciate it.
2: Well, Jimmy, thank you so much. It was great being with you all in Dallas, and I'm happy to be back
1: today. Great. So, Jim, you know, this may be uh, an unusual place to start, but since we're only six days away from the election, what if we start right out of the gate with how do you think the midterms are going to play out? And then we can take some time and dive a little deeper into how you came to that conclusion. Well, the House
2: looks like it's ready to flip to the Republicans, and uh, the trends are very good there for for them on uh, taking the majority away. Remember, they only need five seats, and the redistricting really helps them, probably to the tune of maybe as many as five to eight seats just on that, before we even get into actual campaigns. So it looks like a good track for Republicans in the House. The Senate is very much up in the air. I mean, we've got toss-up races across the country that could go either way. And seeing a couple of polling conflicts here, too, because, uh, well, we're seeing a few conflicts in the data. We've got polling favoring Republicans in most of these states, but the early vote count looks more favorable towards Democrats. So, there could be a little bit of a disconnect there.
1: Jim, let me ask you sort of, As someone who's watched a lot of these, uh, every election cycle, but, you know, sort of these unique ones like this, where you have a a midterm election, um, which, you know, tends to be bad for for the president's party. When you have these close races, you know, I I feel like a lot of times people look at them and say, well, half will go this way, half will go that way, and they do their math that way. Is that how it usually plays out? Or or do you find in in these type of elections, they, they break one way or the other?
2: tend to break one way or another especially the ones the types we're seeing today and they they break r- late right around now and so it, and that's what the polling is showing us the, the senate races the key ones Pennsylvania Ohio Iowa Georgia Nevada the interesting thing in those are that the republicans are are all in those races polling up But the early voting is suggesting another story there, and that doesn't mean things won't change in the final days of early voting, and Republicans dominate on Election Day. But when you compare how the parties had voted to themselves, Democrats are always going to have more on early voting. It's just the way they operate, and the Republicans tend to vote late in the early voting cycle and on Election Day. So it's just the way the two parties vote. But if you compare Democrat performance to Democrat performance and Republican performance to Republican performance, the Democrats are getting a bit bit of a challenge early. Now, whether that is definitive or not, we'll have to wait till November the 8th to find that out. But it is an interesting trend, and it was an interesting one in 2020 that proved to be a pretty good predictor. And again, these are real votes versus Polls. So it's going to be, I, I'm, Republicans are seeing these numbers too. I'm sure they're doing a major push to get people out more to up those early voting numbers and, of course, on election day. So I think it's very much up in the air. And remember, in the Senate, each party only needs to net one seat to gain the majority. So you've got a good half a dozen seats that are what we would call within the margin of uh, the polling margin of error and it's uh it doesn't get much closer than that
1: <laughs> but that that should make for uh, an interesting and perhaps a long election night um jim last month when you were with us uh in dallas you, you talked a lot about sort of the focus that the two parties were uh, their focus on their messaging and we've now had you know it's fun to kind of have the same person come back four or five weeks later and say how how's that playing you sort of talked about how the Democrats were largely messaging along uh, abortion rights, and the Republicans were sort of doubling down on their inflation and the economy message. Can you tell all these weeks later if either one of those messages are resonating? Are they both missing the mark?
2: Well, they're certainly, the, Demo- the Democrats are certainly staying with the abortion theme. As I mentioned in Dallas, the Democrats have appeared to have taken a single issue strategy around the country on the abortion issue since. Uh, roe v wade was overturned on june the 24th and really that's all they've been they've been kind of johnny one notes with one major exception senator Raphael warnock in georgia has not adopted that strategy he's doing some interesting things more on local markets with local businesses which i think is a good approach for him but with the almost all the others if if it's not all about abortion it's always mentioned and most of the ads are, are about that. And so we'll see. Maybe people are getting fatigued with it. I don't know. We'll see. But the trends, polling trends look good right now for Republicans. But then the early votes and the actual votes are the only things that matter. On the Republican side, they've certainly been hitting the economic theme. But what has appeared to be maybe a bigger driver lately, and I can certainly say that in Nevada, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and New York, is the crime issue. So if you look at the Republicans they've kind of evolved into certainly the economy, inflation, prices, jobs, etc. and the but crime and education has also come forward. So they those seem to be the big 3 that are moving numbers for Republicans.
1: So so Jim that's certainly what the parties are choosing to talk about and you know part of the job of the you know, political pundit class is to try to look at what voters are saying in surveys and what do they care about. And um, you know, they often ask the question, you know, when you show up on election day, which issues are on your mind. And when I try to look at those polls, I feel like the country seems to be disproportionately impacted by the difficult economic times. So I, so it would seem to an amateur that. If you're a Republican and you're looking at a poll that says the economy is the biggest deal to voters and you're like, hey, that's a good issue for me, easy for them to talk about that." that. It, is, it, is it that simple? Is, is it sort of playing out that way? Yes, and I think Republicans are missing some simple
2: messages, too. But yes, the answer is that if you look at consistently now, and and after June 24th is the same, uh, although abortion has creeped up a bit, but it's still not up there with inflation, jobs, economy, um, crime, education. Those sorts of issues are still above abortion. Now, USA Today came out with a poll that Suffolk University did for them, their pre-election poll, and that was published late last week. And, you know, and again, it showed 37 percent were more concerned with the economy and 18 percent with abortion and then the rest of the issues were across the board. So it's, it's still inflation and economy dominated. I think Republicans, maybe there's some simple issues like the right track, wrong track question. And that's a, a pollster's question that would ask a respondent, do you think the country is headed in the right direction or have we gotten off on the wrong track? And that's overwhelmingly in favor of wrong track, which should help the Republicans. And I'm surprised we don't see ads talking about that. Uh, they seem to be really zeroing in on this opponent has voted 100% with Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden. I, I'm not sure that's their best attack. It seems to me that maybe making it simpler and saying, hey, the country's off the uh, on the wrong track and we need to get back on the right track and here's how we're going to do it. I think that might resonate more, but I'm a little bit surprised we haven't seen that. The other thing I'm surprised I haven't seen in the ads I've been watching around the country for Republicans, and I've only seen it from one candidate. And this worked pretty effectively for the Democrats in 2018 in that midterm election against President Trump when they were indicating to people that they should use their midterm vote to send a message to President Trump to change directions. And that worked pretty well for the Democrats. Polling suggests that works pretty well for the Republicans with Joe Biden, but I really haven't seen them using that it, it that much. I don't know, but if we come back after the election and then we know the results, and maybe those are two things that I'll come to saying, gee, if the Republicans had hit the right track, wrong track, and maybe sending Biden a message better, they might have ended up doing better. But we'll see. We'll see if their if um, strategy works. It's What I'm talking about is kind of a nuance to what they're doing. But I think it may need to be a little bit more of a simple message.
1: You, you know, Jim, when when you talk about the um, right track, wrong track, and and there are a dozen other metrics that sort of add up to people just not feeling really good about where they are today, you know, the future of the country, uh, the future of their own pocketbooks. And so when you describe that, it, it, it starts to sound like what a lot of um, – Um, political pundits uh, would call a change election, right? Like, so you hear, you know, I don't know, is it wishful thinking on some of the Republicans' parts um, where they're talking about, whoa, this could be a really big deal. This is sort of like, you know, call it 94, 2010, 2006, 2018. Do you see... Um, in the data, anything that could indicate that this could be a really big wave change election? Or do you really think it's so close to toss-up right now, this could break either way, and we'll see?
2: Now, the indications are it's closer to the toss-up, and it's unlikely to be a huge swing, at least in the House, because this is a redistricting year. And when you have the the uh, congressional boundaries state legislative boundaries and every other political boundary redrawn to equalize population after a census the districts tend to stabilize and they they generally will favor incumbents and that's what we've got now and this is only the fourth time since 1930 where we've had a first term president in his first midterm in a redistricting year and so normally the average during all that time in the modern political era which i would call it we've had about a 25 seat average gain in the house for the party that does not have the presidency but that tends to get mitigated in the redistricting years and so the only time in fact that the party has gained seats is George W. Bush in 2002 when the when the Republicans actually gained two seats in the House, but that was almost solely because of redistricting. Republicans took over redistricting for the first time in generations at that point, and it changed the whole cycle. We have a similar situation this time, although not as drastic, where I think it favors Republicans to a degree, but I think it's going to mitigate a huge swing. I'm thinking the Republicans gained between 20 and 23 Other people are thinking it's going to be 25 or more. Um, I don't see many people now talking about more than 30. Whereas before the cycle began, some people were talking about 50 and even 70 seats because it was going to be such a wave. I don't think it's going to be that. I do think the Republicans win the House. The question is, how big is the majority? And I think it's going to be a little bit on the lesser side. CBS News came out with their analysis and they've had 15 i've got 20 to 23 the cook political reports have 15 to 25 so we're all kind of in the same range there
1: let me ask you a little bit more about um redistricting um in this cycle in particular and sort of that high that top end number when you when you talk about how some people early on were talking about you know 40 50 seats um Seems to me that you know uh, a lot of that's mitigated by the, where the where where the number starts from. You know, when when you only have 185 seats in the House, you can gain 60 seats. But since there's only a five seat gap now, and the Republicans are starting at that 212, you know, I think I think I read the other day that if they win more than 34 seats, it'll be the largest majority since the Great Depression for the Republicans. So it would be a pretty big wave, and the top end number at 34, 33 ish
2: you have to remember, too, is that 212 or 213 number with the vacancy in Indiana that'll go their way uh, due to the Congresswoman's death there. The um, thing that you do have to factor in that takes the Republicans down a little bit is in the states on reapportionment that lost congressional seats, and there are seven of them. And remember now, because the House is Capped at 435. In 1930, the Congress capped the number of seats at 435. Before, during reapportionment, they just added seats. Nobody lost seats, but they added to the states that gained in population. But then the House was getting, they thought, too big. So at that point, they said, we need to cap this at 435. So when you have states that are growing and deserve more reputa- representation than by Uh, mathematical equations, somebody has to lose. So we had seven of those states who lost seats, including California for the first time. And most of that comes in the kind of the Midwest, Northeast area, New York, Pennsylvania, uh, Michigan, et cetera. In fact, Pennsylvania is interesting. now. Next year, this sounds worse than it is, but (laughs) next year they will have less members of the House in Pennsylvania than they did when Thomas Jefferson was president and but the more stunning number they will have 17 seats in the next starting on Tuesday they have 17 elections in 1930 they had 36 seats and that shows you how many they've lost pennsylvania's been the biggest loser we've had over the, those decades so where do those seats go and the republicans are taking the hit on the lost seats in this case is about 5 to 6 of those out of the out of the 7 so you have to take that 212, 213 number down to, you know, maybe around 209, 208 or 209, and then build up from there. So it's a little bit less than that. Uh, The 247 is the high water mark they've gotten. I don't think they're going to reach that this time. I think they're going to be in the 230s. They typically, they, the Republicans, when they've had the majority since 1994, they've been between 230 and 236. And I think that's where they're going to end up this time.
1: You know, uh, something we haven't talked about. It's interesting, you talk about uh, reapportionment and how uh, we've had a lot of people moving around the country to different places. And perhaps, you know, one of the you know, history might look back at these last few years as one of the larger migrations we've had um, in our country in modern times. Um, the other side of that, you know, you hear people talk about could this be a realigning election, you know, a, a la sort of the Reagan Democrats, where you start to have uh, a shift in party and behaviors and outside of population movements. The other area you look at is demographics. Is there any um, evidence or truth behind that in the data that you've seen that that there could possibly be some realignment in this election?
2: Oh, yeah. And we've already seen some of it. I mean, we've seen uh, places like Ohio moving to the right in the past couple of elections, Colorado moving to the left, Georgia, because of demographics, moving to the left. And yeah, I think we'll see more of that in this election as the states change over time. And different things happen in different states, and it tends to affect their political behavior. And we're certainly seeing that in a number of states. Virginia is another one moving to the left. Uh, So, But some are moving right, some are moving left. Remember back... This is an interesting fact west virginia now is one of the strongest republican states in the whole country back in 1976 or actually the 1980 election so it's a long time but it's not that long in terms of american history west virginia was one of the only six states in the country that voted for jimmy carter and now they've gone so far to the right and it's been all over the energy issues mainly that they're now one of the safest Republican seats in the country. I mean, that's been the biggest transformation during that time of any state that I've seen.
1: So, Jim, let me sort of close out with a question I'm sure you get all the time, but it's a it's a, it's a popular fan favorite amongst our, our members for sure. And I know when you spoke uh, to NAMIC PAC members last month, it created a lot of buzz and a lot of follow-up from the audience. But who do you think... The 2024 presidential nominees are going to be for each party. Yeah, are we so going to yeah, see yeah, Trump versus right. Biden round two or? Do you no, see something I don't shaking know. Well,
2: out? you know, there there might be a little bit better chance of that than when we were in Dallas. Now, I think it's if Trump. If he runs right now, it looks like he wins that nomination. I mean, he's outside of Georgia where his candidates did not do well. But the candidates he endorsed in competitive races around the country, by and large, won. And that shows he's got a strong base within the Republican Party. I'm sure he will run. And that, you know, obviously affects the field. And we'll see if anybody's going to be strong enough to try to take him down. I think they're clearly trying to move to indict him. And how that affects the race, who knows? I mean, that's not going to stop him from running. An indictment is just an accusation and so there's a lot of dynamics here but i do think right now you know trump is certainly the man to beat the republican side now the, there's the democrat side where it gets interesting and where i people have always given me a lot of guffaws because i don't think joe biden will run in the end and you cannot overlook kamala harris and that's where everybody says oh what are you talking about she's not going to win well do not underestimate the vice president in running for the party nomination because And particularly this time for the democrats because they've already said they're going to change the rules and the state complexion for nominating their presidential nominee in 2024 and the white house is going to have a lot to say on how those rules are developed and they've already gone to their states and said look we're looking to change the schedule and the two parties have agreed they, You can have four states vote ahead of what is determined to be the Super Tuesday election. Super Tuesday is generally around the second Tuesday in March. And you can have four states ahead of that. Now, they have been the Iowa caucus, New Hampshire primary, Nevada caucus, and South Carolina primary. Those four. The Democrats are going to change that. There, there's no question about that. They They had a bad experience in Iowa last time. That system they the state party adopted was so complicated with thirds of a vote and five a fifth of the vote and this and that of a delegate they don't even know for sure today if Pete Buttigieg or Bernie Sanders won that Iowa caucus and so they've had it and so and then it took then they had problems counting the votes it was a mess for them I think Iowa's gone. And they're also, I think they're going to, it looks like they're going to require all states to be primaries on the Democratic side and get rid of caucuses. And they're certainly going to change the mix. Iowa, I think, is gone for them. Then New Hampshire is going to be harder for them to move out of the way because New Hampshire has a state law that allows the Secretary of State to move that primary at will. And the purpose of it is if somebody tries to move ahead of them. And state law trumps party rules. So they're going to have a hard time moving new hampshire out and there'll probably be some legal challenges if they try to do that um i think they're going to go to some bigger states they want states that more adequately reflect the democratic population i.e states bigger states with more minority vote who's that going to help it's going to help kamala harris because she's going to have a role in deciding what four of the states are chosen and maybe they go with more than four, because what happened is they they went out to all 50 states and said, uh, you can apply to be in the top four, and all 50 states applied. <laughs> so, we've got, um, it's going to be interesting to see, but do not underestimate the power of the rules. Do not underestimate the power of the people writing the rules of the nomination process. That's Kamala Harris and she is the sitting vice president and the party has made a big deal that she is the first woman of color to hold that position. And to think they're just going to move her out, I I really think is unrealistic and believe me she's not going to go quietly if they try to. And then who else do they have? But, I mean that's the other problem they've got. Most of their leaders are 80 years old. So it's I, I still stand by the
1: Kamala Harris. <laughs> you know, Jim. I, 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 you know, this is where we're gonna uh, leave our discussion. But I, I, I feel bad that uh, we're leaving our uh, discussion with you, disappointing all of the mass members in them, because you've just told them that they're gonna live through an election with uh, Donald Trump versus Kamala Harris. So we'll, we'll, we'll let that, we'll let them marinate oh, in that yes, through yes. election day, and uh, and yeah, uh, that is depressing.
2: I will agree with that. But who knows? You know. Politics is a crazy thing, and lots of things are going to happen between now and then. But looking at the tea leaves right now, that's what I think.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, and 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 you and you do leave us with a ray of hope that politics can change like this. So we'll uh, yes. we'll wait and see. We we thank you for taking so much time out of uh, your schedule. I know you're in a high high demand to run around the country and talk about elections. So thanks for stopping back in and talking to NAMIC and our and our uh, members today. We appreciate it.
2: Well, Jimmy, thank you very much, and it's always a pleasure to be with you and the NAMIC members.
0: And that's it for this week's episode of Insurance Uncovered. We'll be back again on November 16th with more insurance news and perspective. So until next time, I'm Kathy Imus. Have a great day.